Well, my name is Levi Lowry, and I am one of the pastors uh, here at Grace. And we have been uh, making our way through Psalm 23 these last few weeks. And I had somebody tell me this week, when you started this, I, I was trying to figure out how you would make it last longer than one week. I mean, how can you? And, then, and I said, yeah, well, I've been trying to figure out how uh, it's not going to take me six weeks. I said, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to squeeze it into four weeks. And so somebody else this week said, well, you've got some ground to make up because I think we've only covered like 17 words so far. So we do, and we are going to dig in. I want us to begin this morning uh, by reading the 23rd Psalm together. It'll be on the screen so that we say it all together because we've probably learned it in about 25 different versions. And so we will read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> I have it different on my paper. Let's start, let's start from the top. I messed that up. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So, how many of you did not learn it, uh, that first line, uh, the way, well, not the first line. We said today, he leads me in right paths for his namesake. How many of you, by show of hands, you learned it uh, a different way? Yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That, that's how I learned it. And that sounds very, very ominous and scary and deathly, right? And, and so I think that may be part of the reason that this passage has showed up in, in funerals uh, so, so often. Uh, how many of you, uh, by show of hands, are between the ages of uh, 35 and 45? All right. How many of you remember this first line uh, from an artist named Coolio? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not going to wrap it for you this morning. But yeah, I remember that. I remember being in college and uh, hearing that. And I thought, man, I may be able to slip this one past my dad as a Christian song. It starts right out with part of the 23rd Psalm. But here we are today. We're going to focus on right paths and dark valleys and rods and staffs. He says, he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Uh, the Lord leads us in right paths. We've talked a little bit uh, in this series about how sheep are animals of, uh, they're, they're stubborn animals. They, they like to do their own thing. 
And, and so shepherds, there's actually a couple of different seasons to shepherding. In the late fall, the winter, the early spring, they can't take the, the, the sheep out on drives up into the, the high altitudes because it's covered with snow. And so during this season of the year, they are kept on ranches and they, they have to be moved around from field to field to field because they will just absolutely annihilate the, the grass and, and the forage in that area. They'll, and they'll, they'll walk the same paths over and over in those paddocks until they destroy the ground. They're creatures of habit. And so sometimes we can be creatures of habit. We like to drive the same routes everywhere that we go. We go to the same restaurants and we order the same dishes, right? Unless you're like my wife, she's not here, so I'm gonna get away with this at 9.30, right? But we will go to a restaurant and she will scour the menu. She will ask every single person at the table, what are you getting, what are you getting? She will make sure that she gets to order last and then inevitably she orders the same thing that she always gets. And I'm like, Babe, you are wearing me out. Like every time we go out to eat, like it's this big thing. And, and then you just get what you always get. I see this also uh, in our driving habits. H have you ever, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a friend, discussed, hey, if you're coming from this direction and you're going to this point, uh, which way is the fastest? I'm an efficient driver. I like to figure out the best way, even if it's like back roads and, and different things. And so I remember in Texas, uh, Heather and I had met for dinner one night and we were driving home separately. And so before we left the restaurant, I said, hey, when we get to this stoplight, I'm going to go left and you go straight because it's been, I've been wanting to know which way is the fastest. Men, can by show of hands, do you ever, are you curious about these things? Women, by show of hands, you think we're crazy for even having these thoughts, right? And so we would set the parameters. All right, we're going to go the speed limit. We're not running any stoplights, stop signs. Let's just see which way is the fastest. And so you figure it out. And then I would think that once you have that figured out, both people would want to take the fastest route from that day forward, only to find out that the other person whose route is slower, they continue to drive that route. And you just mind blown, mind blown. Why would anybody... I mean, I'm not saying that happened in my family. I'm just saying, hypothetically, that if that were to happen, that would be crazy, right? I mean, that would be crazy. And so we are creatures of habit. We, we tend to just get in these ruts and, and do the same things. And, and so we have these paths that we like to take. I'll be honest, when I became a father, Scripture took on a whole new dimension for me. See, I understand as a father that I teach my kids right things and put them on right paths. We teach them to respect others. I do. We teach them uh, to treat others as they want to be treated. We teach our children very practical things. Don't touch the fire, right? Don't touch the iron. Don't touch the stove. Water is good unless it is deep and you don't know how to swim, so stay away. They don't listen. You put them in a life jacket just in case, right? We teach them these things because this is what is best for them. This is what is good for them. Hopefully, we teach our, our kids not to hit or to fight or to push or to shove or to bully the kids that are around them. And we do this because these are the things that our kids need to know if they are going to integrate into society and be good little human beings, 
They need to know these things. But at the end of the day, if we are honest, there's a part of us that is keenly aware that our reputation is on the line as well. Are you tracking with me? We teach our kids the right things, the right paths, but there's also this part of this where it's our renown, our reputation that is on the line. This isn't too far off from scripture. God chose this group of people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. He chose them and, and, and set them apart. And they were rescued from, from Egypt after they were slaves for hundreds of years. And they won battles that they never should have won. God was leading them in right paths. And it was good for them, but it wasn't all about them. See, his plan from the very beginning was to set this nation apart, that they would be a light to all the other nations, and that the other nations would be drawn into relationship with this one true God. And so he led them in these right paths, yes, for their own good, but also for his reputation. Now God's people, as we often do, messed it all up, right? God had right paths for them to travel, and they began to get sidetracked with other gods, and they began to follow other gods, and they began to disobey God, to not walk in the paths where he was leading them, and they ended up in trouble. They ended up being conquered and, and enslaved, and they ended up being refugees in a, an, another country, and then they would cry out, God, rescue us. And then God would come along, and he would rescue them. And then they would follow along the right paths for a while, and then they would kind of just wander off as sheep do and begin to follow the paths that made more sense to them. They would get captured. They would cry out, God help us, and he would come on. Just read the Old I'm saving you a lot of time. This is what happens in the Old Testament time and time and time again. You can spend nine months reading that. I'm just telling you, it's a little bit of a spoiler. This is what happens over and over and over with God's people. And so he leads us in right paths for his name's sake. Uh, we moved here from Texas two years ago. For those of you that have never been to Texas in the summer, I don't recommend that you pick the summer to go to Texas. Uh, on average, it's about 187 degrees in Texas every single day. And so when you have small children, you learn that you don't go to outdoor playgrounds in the park in the summer. Because if you do, and little Johnny gets on a slide that has been baking in the Texas sun, little Johnny can get a second degree burn. Yes, it is that hot in Texas. And so, uh, because people are opportunists, the fast food industry in Texas realized we can make a lot of money if we put in big playlands and air condition them because the Texans like to be cool. And so, we had our favorites. McDonald's, man, they had nice ones. Chick-fil-A, the food was better. The playground wasn't quite as good. We could have rated these things. We, we knew every single playground, which was good, which was bad. But I remember with my son, Keegan, uh, he, is, he is now nine. And I remember we went through this season with him where we would be in one of these play areas and we would hear a blood-curling scream at the top of one of these tubular towers. And so I remember one time we were at this McDonald's on Lakeview Parkway. We heard the scream and Heather and I just looked at each other. And immediately, like an Olympic sprinter, I'm built like that, through, through the tubular tunnels. I learned quickly those things are built for kids, not for adults, right? 
And I'm pretty sure there's not an industry to regulate how clean they are because the smells are overwhelming in the tubular tunnels. But I would get to the top and there would be my son. You're like, you're such a good dad. You're going up there to rescue your son. Someone had, had attacked your son. No, I wasn't there to rescue my son. I was there to get my son out of there because I knew that my son had done harm to someone else. <laughs> this happened often enough that I knew that in the top of the tubular tower, my son had felt threatened. And when my son felt threatened when he was two or three, he bit whoever was threatening him. There's a scream that comes after someone has bit, and you begin to recognize that scream as a parent. So what I was doing was rushing to get up there, get him down so that I could publicly chastise him, trying to figure out which kid, parent, maybe see what was going to happen. It was their kid was going to come down the slide. They could match the dental records, right, to my son's chompers. And so what I would do is I would get him down. And I'm like, Keegan, we don't bite. We don't bite. I'm saying it like loud enough so that all the parents can hear, right? Well, then they're like, oh, someone was bitten, right? And so eventually the kid would come down crying, you know, try to make Keegan apologize. He's two or three. And then the parents of the other kid, they would begin to glare at Heather and I like we had practice sessions at home with our son. Like, son, if you feel threatened, just bite him. Bite him hard, right? We didn't do that. But the way that the parents looked at us, like, get a hold of your kid, man. They can't bite. We're like, yeah, we know. We know. They can't, they can't bite. But our reputation is a parent was on the line, right? We would, teach, we would teach our kid, don't bite, don't bite. Even if you feel threatened, come down and tell an adult, don't bite, right? We're leading him in right paths. This is the right path. This is the path Keegan always went on, right over here. It involved biting. And so what we have to remember is when it says he leads me in right paths for his namesake, Sure, he, he is leading us in right paths because this is what is best for us, for, for, for our wholeness as human beings to, to follow in the paths that he leads us. But there's also this side of this where his reputation is on the line. The way that we live our lives, the way that we follow the paths that he directs us in affects the way others see him. And can I be honest? Can we just admit this morning that, that we have really made a mess of this? <laughs> at times, that, that the church has been responsible for saying and doing and, and behaving certain ways that have not done much to bolster the reputation of God? Can we just say, yeah, we admit that. Now, we've done some amazingly good things, but to just focus on that and say that we, we haven't botched this at times is, is placing ourselves somewhere that's not realistic. And so the way that we live matters. The path, the path that we follow matters. Are we tracking? All right, we're, you guys got quiet. So, yea though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that, that, even though I walk through the darkest valley, when the shepherds are going through the valley, uh, well, Philip Keller says this. He, he wrote this book, uh, a shepherd's guide to the 23rd Psalm. He said, every mountain has its valleys. Its sides are scarred by deep ravines and gulches and draws. And the best route to the top is always along these valleys. Any sheepman familiar with the high country knows this. He leads his flock gently, gent gently but persistently up the paths that wind through the dark valleys. It should be noticed that the verse states, even though I walk through the valley, 
It does not say I die there or I stop there, but rather I walk through. By show of hands, if you've been through a dark valley, just hands up. Hands up if you're still kind of right in the middle of one of those seasons, right? Yeah. If you have been alive any length of time, you are going to go through uh, a season where you are in the dark valley. That is the way that life works. Uh, is our worship pastor, Josh Wicker, his, his come on staff, um, his very first week, he came in and said, hey, what are we going to be talking about in this 23rd Psalm? And we began to bat around some ideas. I gave him a book and he wrote a song that we've been singing and, and we'll sing at the end of our time together today. I said, well, beyond that song, which is amazing, uh, pick out uh, a, a section of this psalm that resonates with you. And so what we did is we sat down with Josh this week and, and asked him to share a time where, where he and his family went through one of these dark valleys. Let's watch this together. Hi there, I'm Josh Wicker. I'm the worship pastor here at Grace Church, and it's been a pleasure to get to know a lot of you. Uh, you've probably met my wife and my kids, Allison. She, she's the beautiful lady that's always by my side. Uh, our kids are Brooklyn, she's seven, Grayson, he's four, and Hudson, who's one. Uh, back in 2004, it was a Sunday afternoon, my wife and I were coming home from church, and God had been doing something special in our hearts. You know how it can be, you go to church, and, and uh, you, sometimes it just gets a hold of you. It was one of those Sundays. We got home, we sat down in our apartment, and we were both feeling that God wanted something special for us, something next. And so we sat down and prayed together. I remember it like it was yesterday. We sat down on the end of our bed in our apartment and we had this sweet time of prayer. We just told God, uh, yeah, thank you for who you are, um, for the things that you've done in our life. And we feel that you have something coming around the corner, something in store for us. And whatever you're asking of us, our answer is yes. It, it, it was a very big step for us as a couple. And so as much as we knew how, we were just saying yes to God. Well, a couple days later, the phone rang, and it was one of those old school phones that, that you know, they'll kind of hang on the wall and it's got a cord and uh, down it. It was, and it was my commanding officer. And he was telling me that uh, we, our unit had been activated and we were going to war. We had two weeks to report for duty and that was the end of the phone call. I had been in the Marines long enough that my truck contract was almost up, and I had just gotten back from my first tour and had just been married maybe, you know, five, six months. And so to say that we were caught off guard, yeah, yeah, we were really surprised. Uh, you, you, what do you do with that type of news? So you, you go through the, the gamut of emotions, right? We were scared, we were nervous, and then we just wanted to try to live live up life. And so we went and did all the things around town that there were to do, you know, big money spenders. As I recall, we went putt-putt golfing, you know? Uh, we went to the couple restaurants and hit the movies up with some friends. And then as those two weeks winded down pretty quickly, we began to feel uh, that our time together was short and we started to face the reality that, hey, in the next two days, this is it. And I remember we were driving home one night in our Volkswagen Jetta, and we pulled in behind an old abandoned store, 
and we realized that there was something pressing on our hearts. We needed to talk things through. So you don't talk about things that are important to you at an apartment, in an apartment, you know. Uh, everybody hears your stuff there. So we pulled in behind that store and the emotion, the weight of it all hit us. And we, we just had us, we didn't know what else to do. So we prayed and we prayed and told God that, man, we feel these fears coming on. We feel this anxiety building up in us and these uncertainties. And we, we, we don't know what to do with them except to pray. And so that's what we did. We cried and we prayed and we told God. And uh, when we got to the end of our time of prayer and we gathered ourselves a little bit, I, I wish I could tell you I knew what to say, that I could look to my wife and say, you know, be strong, you know, take courage. This, this is all gonna work out in the end. But I, I had nothing to say. And my wife looked to me and she said, through tears that God is good, He loves us, and we can trust Him. And ever since that day, we have tried to live our life with that as our overlord, that God is good, He does love us, and we can trust Him. Now that, that story unfolded very, um, very differently than we would, ex would have expected, but all along the way, God walked with us through those fears, through those uncertainties, through the danger and the loneliness. Um, and we both, I think if we were side by side, we would both say to you that God is good. He loves you. You can trust him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been uh, so so far down in the valley that, that you didn't even have words. There's something really neat that happens right here in Psalm 23, right in the very center. It, it begins with 26 words, and then there's three words in the middle that end up getting translated into five English words, and then it finishes with 26 more words. And so it, it's a numerical center, and at the very center of this, this psalm is, is what David wants us to understand. And it, it's five words, and, and they are these. This is the very center of this psalm. For you are with me. If this, if this poem had a shape, it would be like an hourglass. and It would be funneling in to here. For you are with me. If, if you don't get this and you don't get this, understand this right here. No matter how high in the mountain, how low in the valley, you are a God that is with me. And something else cool happens right here. This poem turns from being a third person, he, 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 to you, for you are with me. A God who is intensely personal says all, all throughout scripture, he is a God who is present with his people. So this isn't just the center of a, a random poem in the, in the middle of a songbook of the Bible. This is a story that is central to all of scripture. 
a God who is present with his people, a God who is present in the garden, uh, a God who covenants with Abraham and commits himself to Abraham in covenant, uh, a God who is with his people in the Exodus, is a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, a God who is with his people in captivity, a God who is with his people when he came in, in skin and bones and flesh in the person of Jesus. A God who is with us through the, the promised gift of his Holy Spirit who walks along the side of us. I want us to say this together this morning. I have no idea. I have no idea where you are at. But, but some of us need to know that this is a God who, who may not, it may not seem like he's right here. Uh, th this is a promise of God for you are with me. I want us to say that together. For you are with me. One more time. For you are with me. We serve a God who is with us. Sometimes we can't, we can't muster it up to, to say it uh, on our own. So uh, go ahead. One more slide. I want us to say this together. For each other. All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. For he is with you. He is with you. This is a God that is with you. When you're caught off guard, he's not. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. This is a God who is with you. The poem goes on. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, these are two tools that a shepherd would have. A rod would be shaved down and conformed to each shepherd's individual hand. And this was more of an aggressive tool that a shepherd would use. They would have to use it on obstinate sheep. Sometimes they would get too close to a cliff. Sometimes they would get close to poisonous plants. And the shepherd would have to use this. And they would actually, they could throw it very accurately from, from some distance, and they could skip it behind a sheep to, to move them another way. They could actually hit a sheep with it to keep them from doing whatever it was that they weren't supposed to do. This was also a weapon that they would use to fight off predators. They, they, could, they could hit animals with it. They could, they could throw it at animals. And you're like, man, this sounds crazy. Well, it's, it's a little different than living in the city, right? I mean, you, you're a shepherd. You have to take care of your sheep. And so uh, every shepherd would have a rod. And, and man, I know there are some times in my life when I've been so obstinate that, that God has, has needed to pick up that rod and, and hurl it my way to get me going on a right path. Now, this isn't exactly a shepherd's staff, but it's the closest thing that, that I have. I don't think they had these little rubber ends on the end back in the Old Testament. But this is... This is like their other tool. This is a staff. Philip Keller says this, the staff is used for guiding sheep. Again and again, I've seen a shepherd use his staff to, to guide the sheep gently into a new path or, or through some gate or along dangerous, difficult routes. He does not use it to beat the beast. Rather, the tip of the long slender stick lay gently against the animal's side and the pressure applied guides the sheep in the way the owner wants it to go. Thus, the sheep is reassured of its proper path. Sometimes I've been fascinated to see how a shepherd will actually hold his staff against the side of some sheep that is a special pet or favorite, simply so that they are in touch. 
They will walk along this way almost as if they were hand in hand. The sheep obviously enjoys the special attention from the shepherd and revels in the close, personal, intimate contact between them. To be treated this way by the shepherd is to know comfort in a deep dimension. It is a delightful and moving picture. I'll tell you, when we're new in our faith and we're obstinate and we're always like these sheep wanting to go after our own path, many of us know the sting of the rod, right? God getting our attention very, very clearly. But as we begin to mature, we begin to understand that these paths that he has for us, they were always the best. We begin to, to just feel the gentle pressure of that staff just against our side, nudging us, guiding us, leading us along the way. And it's no longer the rod that is necessary. It's just, it's just this gentle staff, this picture of, of walking hand in hand with the Lord. My kids are, are nine and 12 and we were at Disney a couple of weekends ago. And so we're, we're starting to hit that age with them when uh, you just never know. You never know if it's going to be okay to, to hold their hand or not hold their hand, uh, especially my 11-year-old daughter. Uh, in certain instances, it's, you know, you're met with this. But something magical happens at Disney, right? All of that seems to go away. And we were there a couple of weekends ago. And I was just walking down. And I felt this, this hand just slip into mine. And we just kind of walked through this magical place hand in hand, right? And, and so when we have those moments, when we can sense that the Lord is near, that, that the Lord is present, that he is, just, he is just guiding us gently with his staff, can we take comfort in those moments and realize that he is leading us in the right paths. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. God, we do know that you are a good God who loves us, that we can trust. A God that is with us, no matter if we're in the, the middle of a, a dark season that has just started, or, or God, if we have found ourselves in the valley for such an extended period of time that we begin to wonder if we're ever going to come out of it, and God, if we're honest, we wonder if you really are with us. God, may we stand on this promise that you are a God who is with us, for you are with me. God, may we take these words into our week, into our home, into our place of work, into our relationship, and, and realize that no matter how dark a day it is, that you are a God who is present with his people. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you that you love us enough to, to bring discipline, sometimes with a rod and then sometimes gently with your staff. God, would you open our hearts and our minds and our souls to all that it is that you want to do in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.